the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Corinthians this evening. Um, if you have a Bible, um, turn to it on your phone, grab a Bible from the back, grab the Bible around you to 1 Corinthians. And chapter 1, I'm going to start at verse 1. Give you a moment to define that. But it will also be on the screen. Let's read. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you, What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptised into the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptise any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptised in my name. Yes, I also baptised the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptised anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptise, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I'm really, really excited to be um, with you this evening. Um, but also to start this series in 1 Corinthians, we are church. That is the truth um, that we gather in, um, and it's the truth of who we are. Um, and this time of year, if you're around this morning, or even if you've just been out in town, you're probably um, noticing a lot of the students starting to arrive. Um, and that often makes me think um, about when I arrived here as a student, and how those years um, of me in Exeter, but also here at Belmont, were for me, how significant they were for me. Um, Here's a picture from about seven years ago when I was um, heading into my final year. You might recognise a few people. Some of them are still around. Some of them um, are uh, elsewhere now. Um, But about seven years ago, I wrote these words for Focus, um, our news sheet. This was me in my third year. 
Now, in my third year, I look back on the membership course and I now believe it was the most important discipleship process I've gone through since my coming to faith and my baptism a few years before. Having grown up in a church, I'd always been aware of the, uh, of the church in that I knew it was God's people and was meant to be a family. However, I never really considered what church actually was and what it was for and how I related to it and, and that we're meant to grow together and share the good news together. I hadn't really thought about these things before and I'm so glad that I did. Now, I think 21-year-old Andrew had a point. We become part of this worldwide church that Saz was talking about the moment we become a Christian. It's an automatic thing. But actually being church, living that out, is something we have to decide to do, and it's something that we have to learn. I think 1 Corinthians is a little bit like the early church version of the membership course. It's theology practically applied um, to what it means to be Christians in community. Now, what this looks like we'll be picking up throughout the series, and we're just launching off today. Tom Wright says of 1 Corinthians, and I share his hope for us over the coming weeks. Um, he says this, writing this letter is part of the process by which God intends to take these Christians, the Christians of uh, Corinth, from God's past achievement to God's future finishing of the job. May God grant that that will have that effect on us too. But to perhaps change the tone, perhaps lower the tone, um, I want to start us with Dawn French. Um, who can tell me her famous slogan um, that she had when it came to Terry's Chocolate Orange? Not quite well, that She did say that, but it's not that one. Yeah, it's not Terry's, it's mine. <laughs> exactly that. And the early Christians, particularly in Corinth, um, adopted a similar position when it came to the church of Corinth. It's not Christ's, it's mine. As we dig into what happened here, um, I want us to remember that it is Christ's church and not ours. It's Christ's church, not ours. And we're going to be exploring that, um, first of all, with the ideas of Corinth and calling in, in the greeting part of the letter. Corinth and Christ within Paul's section on Thanksgiving and Corinth and culture in that final part of our passage. Now, something else the 21-year-old history student Andrew would appreciate um, is this timeline. Uh, around about 30 AD was the time of Jesus' death and resurrection. A couple of years later, in AD 32-33, was Paul, who's the author of this letter, his conversion to Christ um, at Damascus. Fast forward a couple of decades, the early 50s is when Paul was in Corinth for about a year and a half planting the church, and we can read about that in Acts 18. And it's a couple of years after that that Paul writes 1 Corinthians to that church, which was about 100 people strong uh, by the time we write the letter. It's a real letter from a real person to a real church in a real place in real history. I've been there and I've seen it in another set of my pictures from a few years ago. 
you might recognise some of those people um, too. Um, that's us in uh, the harbour right out on the outskirts of ancient Corinth. Um, it is a real place. But these are facts. Facts are proven bits of information, and those are important. But throughout scripture, um, but also particularly in verses 1 to 3 here, they go further than just facts, and we land on truths, significance of facts. So what truths are revealed here? Well, we have Paul. He's called to be an apostle. God has called Paul to be a special representative of Christ. He's acting and writing not on his authority, but on God's. Now, if you know anything about Paul's story and his um, dramatic uh, conversion to Christianity, yes, the method was quite dramatic, but if you look at the direction he was going in and the direction he turned in in following Christ, that's dramatic. Are you willing to give up your ambitions, your preferences, to follow Christ, wherever that might lead you? next person we've got is Sosthenes. Um, we don't know much about him, and I can't pronounce his name, um, but he was probably the synagogue leader that we read in uh, Acts chapter 18 um, from Corinth. Now let's just think about that. He's a Jewish religious leader from a pagan city, and by about a few years later, he is a brother in Christ. What a story. And what I want to encourage us is that each of our stories are as dramatic as that, whether we realise it or not. In Christ, each of us have moved from death to life. Next, the Corinthian church. Not a building, not a denomination, but people. People sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his made holy people, separated by and for God for his purposes. And what do we Christians do? We call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's how we rely on him. We rely on him. We call on his name. Now, the English word calling um, is used in this, uh, these few verses to refer to two different um, things. Both Paul and the Christians are called, are chosen to be God's own people. And in return, Christians, both ancient and modern, call on, but this time appeal to, <coughs> rely on the name of Jesus. For me, and I hope for you, this paints a picture of dialogue of relationship going in both ways but it's a relationship where it's not balanced as the prophets relayed the promise of God they will be my people I shall be their God our faith is of course deeply <coughs> personal but it is inescapably and wonderfully communal it's the same spirit that convicts each of us of our sin 
and draws us into repentance in Christ, and who is the spirit of unity who draws us together in fellowship. God is calling you, and you, and you, and me, to get closer to Jesus, but also closer to one another. For as we get closer to Jesus, we inevitably must get closer to one another. Like it or not, God is calling us, all of us, to life together in Christ. Does that sound hard to you? It does to me. It's a good job he gives us two things to help us along the way. See verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, this church is Christ's, not ours. A typical gre- This is a typical greeting that we'd have for a letter of this kind, so we might overlook this bit. But grace, grace was a typically Greek greeting. Peace was a typically Jewish greeting. Paul is embracing unity with this dual cultural greeting to the people in the Corinthian church who were both Jews and Greeks. But those words probably spark something in our Christian minds. We know there's something more to them. Paul is saying, this grace is from God, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This grace is God's unmerited favour. We have God's favour that we have not earned ourselves. Likewise, this peace, this shalom peace, it's God's harmony between people and him and between one another. If we're going to do life together as church, if I'm going to live along well with you and if you're going to live well with me, We're going to need plenty of grace and plenty of shalom peace, which comes from God. These are the foundations for 1 Corinthians that Paul is setting out for us. If we are to embrace being church, it is to recognise that God is the one who's called us. This gives each person value and dignity and worth in their own right, but also that God is drawing us together as one people. And that God, with grace and peace, is calling us into relationship with one another. This is Christ church, not ours. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you'll know that being a member, an active member of a church takes effort, sometimes a lot of effort. And this is something that Paul expresses um, throughout 1 Corinthians. And if you are familiar with this letter, if you've read ahead, you'll know that this is a letter of correction and rebuke. So how does he start off this letter? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. When church life is tricky, I know I'm quick to abandon thanksgiving. Now, we don't dodge those difficult questions that we might need to have. 
um, as we see that Paul does kind of address issues head on in the letter as we go on. But we need love and thankfulness for one another to be our attitude, our manner and our intention. Like Paul, we need to have a posture, a mindset, a starting baseline of thank you, God. Thank you, God, for these people. Thanking God, not just that the church exists, but for what he has done, is doing, and will do. Tom Wright again says, world history and the story of the Christian life, and I would add the life of the church, has a shape. And Jesus is its shaper at every point. Remember, this church is Christ's, not ours. Paul gives thanks for what God has done. Look at verses four and six. He has given them, and also us, grace in Jesus. The price that needed paying, the wrongs that needed righting, the distance that needed closing, the chain that needed breaking. Jesus sorted all of that. He sorted all of that for us in his death on the cross and in his resurrection. By embracing Jesus, in grace, in his grace, we embrace his innocence, his righteousness, his victory. And with that, and in that and through that, he has enriched them and also us with speech and knowledge. And also as we live together with using these gifts, their and also our testimonies are stories of what Christ has done in our lives and what he's doing amongst us are confirmed as true. Paul gives thanks for what God is doing. Verse 7, he's provided them and us with spiritual gifts in their and our eager waiting for Jesus to be revealed. Let's take a moment. When was the last time you gave thanks to God for how someone else serves the people here with their spiritual gifts? How do you, or could you, use your gifts within this community? Paul then gives thanks for what God will do. Verses 8 and 9. Keep them and us firm to the end, so that they and we will be blameless on the day of Christ. You have noticed that there's a lot of overlap there. The tenses don't kind of neatly align because God is at work um, all the time, in and through us. And Paul um, put simply that God is faithful. He will finish what he has started. And all of this, all of this takes place within the fellowship, within the relationship that we have with the Son, Jesus Christ. And it reminds me of the words from Hebrews, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Grace has been given in Jesus. Jesus is among us and we will be blameless on the day of Jesus. Jesus is the beginning, middle and end of the church. 
this church is thoroughly Christ's, not ours. We're next, um, finally, going to look at Corinth and culture. I appeal to you, verse 10. Paul is changing the tone. He's getting down to business and he's going to start to address these mini issues that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. He has learned that church life in Corinth has descended into factions, into rivalries, into kind of competition. They're all jostling for more prestige. I follow Paul, yeah, but I follow Apollos. And what Paul is saying is, whoa, 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 (laughs) stop this, stop this. Don't you see how dangerous this is? The outside Corinthian culture had creeped into the church. The outside culture was the greatest existential threat, was the biggest risk to this church. Unlike persecution with other churches um, of this time, for Corinth, it was culture. And I would really recommend Richard's intro into ancient Corinth. And to summarise him, um, Corinth at this time is a new, growing, vibrant city. It's the regional capital. It's trade tourist and temple economies has made it rich and cosmopolitan. It's a community run on power, prosperity and patronage. Everyone tried to earn their millions and those with money flaunted it. A culture not unlike the modern Western world. This culture of ambition and competition and individualism is at odds with the picture that Paul is painting of Christ church. Yet it was creeping in to how the Christians related to one another as church. The Corinthian Christians are creating these kind of tribes around Paul and Cephas, who's uh, the disciple Peter and the evangelist Apollos and even Jesus himself. Now these Leaders, um, Paul and Peter and Apollos, they, they didn't encourage this. And you see how Paul kind of talks about he doesn't really baptise people um, to prevent this very thing from happening. Paul's solution is to talk about, we need to agree with one another. And when he talks about agreeing with one another and being perfectly united in mind and thought... He's not talking about uniformity of secondary theological issues. Paul, in another letter, in the letter to the Romans, he talks about, we can disagree on things like that. That's allowed. That's okay. And it's a bit like the theological triage that Simon talked about if you're around this morning. In fact, I love the fact that as a church, we are committed to the, the gospel and to, the, and to scripture But I also really value the diversity of thinking that we have on peripheral issues. It makes me think deeper and it makes me love harder. So what is Paul saying? Well, he's saying that we need to be united in mind when it comes to the identity and purpose of the church. Without this, we're all 
heading off in different directions. How can we live together if you're going off there and I'm taking the church over there? I think the message version kind of conveys this bit quite well. You must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate of one another. Cultivating a life in common. Cultivating, working, nurturing a life together. A life in common. And it's not that well-known leaders and teachers are a bad thing. It's dangerous when we define ourselves by our human leaders rather than Jesus. It's his church. Are we thinking, when we do that, are we thinking like the world or like Christ? Paul kind of explores this kind of thinking a bit more in chapter 3. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? Paul says this quarrelling, this rivalry, it's worldly, it's human. This is the culture creep. We're not meant to be mere humans. We are God's chosen, sanctified, made holy people with a purpose. But I'm sure... We've all seen, whether in our own experiences or we've seen played out uh, further afield, how ambition, competition, celebrity has played havoc within churches. It's a stark warning of when secular or personal agendas are brought into church instead of love of God and love for one another. It risks, verse 17 of emptying the cross of Christ of its power. I don't think you can get more serious than that. The church is meant to be the tangible demonstration of the gospel, of Jesus at work in the world. So if we don't live up to that, if we're at each other's throats, we undermine that. We're called for higher and greater But on a practical note, how do we know the difference between respecting our leaders, giving encouragement, and slipping into factionism? Well, Craig uh, Blomberg says, the key for promoting unity and avoiding divisiveness is focusing on Jesus rather than exalting human leaders. For me, it's when my respect and appreciation, those good things, for an influential Christian that I look up to, it's when those things turn into dependence. It's when perhaps the encouragement I offer starts to just praise them or to flatter them. Paul also warns us of a more subtle, but I think more sinister faction that I've not yet addressed the so-called Jesus faction. It's not meant in a good way. It's the we're the real deal and you're not faction. It's the self-righteous faction. It's the arrogant faction. It's the faction that exploits God's name for their agenda. Or as Tom Wright describes it, 
This is my version of what Christianity is and you don't belong here. But this is Christ's church, not ours. Factions, rivalries, divisions, it splits family and it wastes energy. We have a mission to be getting on with. Life is hard enough without us ripping shreds out of one another. In quarrelling, we miss the grieving. When fighting, we don't spot the heartbroken and competition gets in the way of our mission. So are we here now united in mind that the church is Christ's, not ours? Do we build tribes around leaders or writers or theologies? Are we ready to leave behind the worldly human quarrelling and pursue a grace-filled, shalom life in common? So, where have we been? We've seen how we are called by God to live together as church, that he gives us grace and peace as we call on his name. We've seen how Jesus is the beginning, middle and end of the church. We should share in thanksgiving for this good news. We should be, we need to be of one mind that the church is Christ's, not ours or anyone's, and to commit to live in love and witness. The church is Christ's, not ours. I hope that has whet your appetites, laid some foundations, um, given you some signposts of what uh, I hope and pray will be coming over the next few weeks, um, which is just going to unpack all of this further and more. So do, do come back. But of what we have looked at today, may I offer some words from Ephesians, a different letter that Paul wrote um, that I pray might help us to... uh, move into the next part of our time together so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.